Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. Carol Cohn, and welcome to Purpose 360. Um, I am so excited today because I have a social entrepreneur, Jesse Laflamme um, from Pete and Jerry's. And if you don't know Pete and Jerry's, you need to know. They are the nation's largest free range, organic, uh, hor- let's see, humane, B Corp. Did I get it all right, Jesse? So so welcome to the call. <laughs> Thank you very much. You got it all right. Okay, great, great. And I have to tell our listeners that this morning I had my Pete and Jerry's eggs. And first of all, they taste better. They just have this little bit of a buttery taste. Now, of course, I do a lot of egg salad, so that might make it that way. But they also have a beautiful little bit orangey golden yolk, which and Jesse, is that from the omega threes that are in your organic feed to the chickens? It's actually and and we'd love to hear we love to hear that that our you know people notice a difference. It that's just that's that makes us feel so great. Um we're we're proud of the eggs our hens lay. And, uh, but to, to answer your question, uh, you know, a lot of it really comes, it's, it's diet and, and the, the biggest component is high quality feed and the fact that they're able to get out and get some forage in their diet. And it's often, it's, um, xanthophyll in grass and, you know, some of the other grains, even high quality corn that they might eat. It really darkens that yolk and gives you that quality. And it's yummy. So it is absolutely worth the additional cost. There's no pesticides. They're organic. You can feel great about how the chickens are treated. And I, I encourage everyone to go to, we're going to put it in the show notes, um, Pete and Jerry's website, because those chickens running around in the freedom, <laughs> they're, they're, just, they're just adorable. So why don't we start with, with Jesse? Just tell me a little bit about your role as CEO. I know you call yourself the chief executive farmer of Pete and Jerry. And then as you tell us about your background, because I know this is multiple generations of your family. um, Also, what is your purpose? And then what is the purpose of the company? Sure. Uh, It's a a big question. Uh, And and I honestly, chief executive farmer, (laughs) chief executive officer, I always find it funny to even even have a title like that because of where we came from, uh, which is really really sort of humble, um, small family farm beginnings. And, and, uh, that's, that has really led our, our purpose, um, quite frankly. So 20 years ago, roughly, I came back to the family farm and I'm the third generation. It was actually started by my grandfather who lived to be nearly 96. Mm. He, uh, he was a, uh, 
pilot in the Pacific during World War II, um, managed to survive and came back to the family farm um, where he grew up. And his, uh, his, the farm was still running. His brothers had actually taken it over uh, as a dairy farm. So he decided to be one of the early egg farmers. And uh, he started with about 500 hens um, and just slowly grew it up to a successful family farm, raised his, his family, my mother. Uh, and then along came my dad, who married the farmer's daughter. So I love, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, uh, he was uh, being from New Hampshire. We, their, their cities are relative, but we, we we describe him as the city boy because he grew up in New Hampshire's largest city of Manchester, um, and didn't didn't know anything about farming, but he uh, he was quite good at it. And uh, they they took over the farm fairly early. Um, so I was raised, you know, I was raised on the farm, raised uh, with chores and raised around hens. Um, and, and it was, it was successful uh, until I was in high school, really. That's, um, that's when the challenges started to happen for, for my family. The egg industry really changed at that time in the early, early nineties. Uh, and I think a lot of agriculture did at that time as well, but, but it was really pronounced with, with eggs. It was an industry full of family farms uh, up until that point, and consolidation and, and industrialization swept through at that time. It was uh, it became common for uh, a, an egg producer, a farm, to have over a million hens at that point, and that was due to technology, um, nefarious technology to keep yeah. chickens in in you know cages and huge barns, uh, two hundred fifty thousand aged hens in a barn and battery cages, as they're called, and also advances in the egg packaging equipment that allowed um, all those eggs to be packaged in a relatively short period of time. So my, uh, my family was in, located in northern New Hampshire, very rural, and they were really content uh, being a family farm and just supplying their local market. And the world changed around them, quite frankly. Mm. Uh, and yeah. that, that also included retail, uh, food retail. A lot of uh, consolidation there occurred at the same time. And the, the mom and pop stores disappeared, started disappearing. Small chains of mom and pop stores disappeared and it became the, the very large retailers who wanted to cut costs and only deal with a few suppliers. So uh, when I was in high school and college, they suddenly woke up to a world where they, uh, even though they were really great farmers, they were, they were actually outstanding farmers. They uh, just didn't have the scale to even supply mm -hmm. some of these customers, right. and um, so they were. <laughs> the eggs started backing up, and um, there was nowhere to go with them, and no markets. Uh, so things were were quite dire. And uh, the truth is, uh, in testament to my parents uh, on many levels uh, for what they did, they they did conceal that from me largely. Uh, I knew things weren't great, but they they didn't. I had no idea how bad. Uh, thankfully, because I'm not sure I would have come back. The family business, <laughs> but which they which they discouraged for quite a while. Uh, but they, you know, around the time I came back, we also made the conversion to full conversion to organic, and that that was pivotal um, for for a number of reasons. And, and I and I see that from the background that your parents, in addition to like jumping in with a lot of risk to become an early adopter of organic, that they also went to mainstream retailers. You know, they didn't go to the bread and circus of the world um, or Whole Foods in, in, back in the day. 
Um, and what was, um, you know, what was the response? I know they got into a couple retailers, but that was the key uh, pivot point that helped to save the business. Yeah, that was a, it was a really key insight uh, that they, and fortunate that they did that. And it really happened because those were the, those are the customers that they were familiar with. And the irony was some of the, um, some of those big retailers, they, they couldn't supply with, with regular eggs. Um, but they kind of knew of them. They were, they knew of that world. So, uh, but they could supply them with a niche product. And, mm. uh, when they, when they converted the farm and changed practices, so it was, uh, as it turned out, I mean, very few would have predicted how really mainstream organic has become. And, and mm. you know, to your point, they didn't approach the, the bread and circuses and the whole foods of the world back then. Uh, they went, they went to, went to where the market was going, uh, as it turned out. So we were we were really fortunate to have that uh, opportunity, but it was it was a struggle too. Uh, one of my early jobs when um, when I was in college was just doing merchandising. Um, and for those who aren't familiar, that's traveling around to uh, supermarket stores and meeting with the the store level managers uh, of a category, dairy manager, for example, and and introducing yourself and just making sure your product is displayed properly and and uh, on shelf at all sometimes. Uh, and I joke that I still, it's true. To this day, I still have a pit in my stomach every time I go into a, a supermarket because, um, it was, it was so tenuous, um, as to whether our eggs would actually be on a store shelf. Um, and if they weren't, it was usually because they weren't selling well enough. They would actually expire oh, before yeah. uh, they could self brew. And so, you know, early on, it was, we always felt like we were on the edge of losing customers. Well, let's talk about your commitments to the small family farm and how you scaled and why that commitment and the, the pivot that you couldn't have the largest operation, but you could take your values and you could find like-minded small family farms around first the Northeast. And I know that you're going around the country and know why you have that commitment and in the food industry there seems to be a lot more purpose these days and so how do you keep it authentic right so that that purpose and and our mission to be a platform for family farms is is what keeps me doing this every day and loving it Uh, and and frankly my team as well um everybody believing in, in what we're doing because the contrast between our network of family farms to supply this market and the factory egg farms that are out there is so great. You know, if, if all consumers could see it, we'd, we'd, we'd have probably thousands more, you know, we'd have thousands of family farms with us. Um, and, and I think eventually they will. So the, I mean, the pivot came, um, relatively early in our evolution, but the truth is when I came back, I remember asking my parents how they were going to afford to pay me. Um, so it was, it was, uh, <laughs> okay. once, no, it's sweat equity. Yeah. Once I got, um, one of the early things I had to do was get into the, the finances, um, and, and sort of fix accounting or, or create accounting for us. And, uh, and once I, once I got into that, I was like, whoa, um, how are we going to do this? And, uh, but it was so, so the truth is early on the early years, um, probably the first five years even. It was almost purely survival, and and we even had an orientation towards, okay, this is a new this is a new life and a new chance, um, and we're going to be very efficient producing organic eggs, and and maybe that scale too, um, but at the same time, you know, we were we were focusing on marketing and telling a story to our customers that we were 
you know, gaining more and more of every year. And that's, that story was to be authentic. I, I remember writing, I was the, I was the copywriter <laughs> for a lot of years. <laughs> you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> right, not, not so great at it, but it worked, I guess. And, and so I remember writing and I create the, on the inside of our labels, we'll tell stories because we have the opportunity to do pictures and things. And, uh, you know, telling about the, the fam, the farm dogs on our farm. And, and, you know, we tell a story about the, uh, particular chickens that were a little crazy in one of the barns or, you know, the, the family that milled the grain for us. And, and we tell these really true, but really kind of human stories, human stories, yeah, very, very much. Personal. And it just felt right. Um, and then, but at the same time, we were, you know, we were becoming bigger just by ourselves. And there was, there was no end in sight and nor did we want one or I didn't want an end in sight to the growth because I, I knew from a previous experience that if you didn't have scale, you would, you would get crushed. Uh, we were not going to repeat that again, but it was incongruent um, with the story we were telling. It, it was incongruent with how we wanted to operate and, uh, you, you know, but it was survival. And we, we reached a point about five years after I came back where it's like, you know, blowing the whistle. We're not, we're not making our farm any bigger. We're not building farms or adding hens. We're going to find a different way to do this and pivot with our model. We, we have to tell the truth to, to ourselves and to our consumers. And, and, uh, that's, that's, it was a real pivot and that's, and it's been the greatest thing we ever did. And we started networking with family farms, just like ourselves, of course, a little smaller at that point, but the same values. Um, and you know, we worked with partners to find them. And I will never, uh, never forget early on in that process. I met uh, a couple, a family that we'd signed up, uh, the Zook family that we still work with, Lee and Mila. And, uh, I'm in there. I'm in their barn, you know, they're, they're really proud showing me how they do things and showing the hens. Uh, and, you know, their, their two boys are running around uh, the egg collecting room. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, this is my parents. And, they, and you know, it's, uh, it's me, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> chucks me up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, um, you know, it's, and it's just gone. I'm like, this is, this is, you really can recreate, amazing. you could just keep the legacy going. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, this is real purpose you know we're doing something good and and this market that we have is an opportunity for a, a farm of this family scale that could not otherwise exist and would not mm-hmm. you know so it's uh very very purposeful and it was it was really just a an epiphany um to to have that you know meeting with them and and was there a moment you know sometimes there the there's a eureka moment where you're sitting quietly or you're reading something and all of a sudden you go scale or you know did you talk to i know gary hirschberg is a friend and you know obviously stonyfield's been you know very very successful but you know for 10 years he didn't think they'd ever make it right Um, and you know they are about organic milk from small family farmers and so was there a eureka moment a little bit and i mean credit to gary too i remember talking to him early on uh about just just this business the consumers that we're we're both selling to and and you know he he spoke about trust um you know it's so many factors that are important like taste and and things but it's that the consumer trusts us and and that was never lost on me and i guess that you know that authenticity uh as we were telling a story that that really was authentic we had to keep it authentic and and i remember you know 2005 or 6 uh I can't remember which year but i remember exactly where i was i was actually at dinner with my parents and um I remember just feeling the resolve around the idea that we were going to pivot and, you know, telling them this, this is what we're going to do now. We're going to work with these family farms. 
you know, come hell or high water, we're going to change our model. And they got behind it too. Um, but I, I just remember not even doing the math so much on whether it was going to work or not for us, um, knowing that it was going to be a little more, little less efficient, uh, that we were going to be, you know, sharing in potential, you know, the, the, the profitable business, you know, cutting, sort of cutting up the sharing the pie, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, you should make the pie bigger right. and share it. Exactly. And, and really position the brand. Exactly. Um, and, yeah. And uh, it just, it felt so right to do that, uh, to be true that it, it wasn't really even a question once uh, once we saw a path to do it. J- Jesse, I mean, an exquisite pivot that looks like it was based on values, but, you know, an entrepreneur and, and you know, there's sweat rolling down the brow or fear, or, or were you scared when you made this decision? I, I definitely was. And we, we were, but, but the truth is we were always, you know, there was always a lot of a healthy amount of fear in the business in, in any way. Uh, that we were choosing to operate it. And I think any entrepreneur would tell you the same thing, um, especially when you're small and you haven't sort of turned the corner, pushed the boulder to the top of the hill. Um, there's, so there's any number of things that can go so wrong and, and you play out the scenarios where you could lose it all, um, but you keep going. And, uh, and, and that's where, you know, that honestly, the, having a purpose makes that so much easier um, that, that you just, put your head down and keep going because you, you know down deep you're doing something right. So we've talked about the elements of the purpose of Pete and Jerry's. Is there a theme line? I know that I've seen on your website, believe in what you buy. Um, but is there, do you have a purpose statement that, you know, you have on a t-shirt or you just, you know, think about it in the morning when you wake up? Yeah, no, I, I mean, there's really two, there's, there's two Primary elements, and then and then around that, you know, particularly our involvement with B Corp and and everything that that a program like that stands for that we do, of course, as well. But it's, it, you know, it starts it starts with taking care of hens, um, and it it comes it comes easily for us. I I grew up with a pet chicken. That's the the first. Oh, that's the, Nelly. The, I want Nelly. to know about Nelly. Right? Yeah. So Nelly, <laughs> my, my first. Um, you know, I, of course, we had cats and dogs, but they were not. They were the family. Weren't chickens. Yeah, they were. They were the family's pets. My my first pet was a chicken when I, when I was four or five years old, and that was the world. Uh, and she would she would go everywhere with me. It was it was, it was great. I would take her to the. I mean, of course, chickens love to scratch, so I took her to the sandbox and I'd play with my truck, and she <laughs> she would scratch in the sand. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but chickens love to ride on bikes, so no. I would either put her in the bike they basket don't. or or uh, they like to grab onto the handlebars and face ahead. <laughs> so okay, so uh, you know, it's just a little five year old. Taking this chicken around everywhere, holding her under you know, my arm like a like a football, uh, and and she was she was happy. So it's yeah, you know, it's that's that's how I grew up, and um, and you know our favorite our favorite part uh, of the, the farm itself was always raising the baby chicks and watching them run around. So so you know number one is taking care of taking care of hens, letting hens act like hens, uh, and this is another thing. I mean we just. You know, in animal agriculture in this country, we've just gone too far. We have oh, it's horrible. Yeah, uh, it's horrible. We have we have a lot of people to feed. Um, you know, and a, and a lot of people who aren't involved in agriculture. So, you know, I appreciate that. Assist, you know, scale is relative and and so forth. But at the same time, uh, you know, we we need to treat animals with respect and and most importantly, allow them to exercise their natural behaviors. And we say, you know, let chickens act like chickens. Uh, it's so it's so 
critical. Um, you know, they, they, they don't ask a lot, but just give them, give them that. So that's, you know, that's sort of just a core tenant of, of our purpose. Uh, and then, and, and I know that you, you, in some of your interviews, you said the best eggs come from hens living their best lives. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so I think that's great. Hey, I don't know how, what is the lifespan of a hen? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's Close to two years. It can be, you know, I mean, truthfully, it can be longer. And 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 our girls, uh, you know, are, we 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 do uh, we do have to sell them um, typically for for meat uh, a little bit earlier than their lifespan, of course. Um, but it, as the as the director of the Humane Farm Animal Care Certified Humane Program that we're involved with, um, when she's questioned about that, you know, how do, how can you certify something uh, for animal welfare when the when the animals you know lives are ended? So it's you know what? Yes, but it's simple. She said the animals on our program have one bad day in their lives. Uh, mm. Something I love. So you know, so I think it's a great way to great way to put it. But um, but yeah, and they 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 lay eggs uh, for about a year and a half, and and the quality. What ends up happening is the shell quality deteriorates. The oh, eggs get okay. bigger, bigger, and bigger. So they they frankly become unacceptable for consumers um, over that time period. And, and they become less productive. So it's, uh, you know, we wish we could keep them forever, but we, we can't. So what happened to Nellie? So Nellie actually did, did, uh, die a natural death. She passed away. Um, that's one of one of my early memories is my parents sitting mm-hmm. me down on the stairs and, and telling me, uh, what had happened that she, she was gone. Um, but she certainly, she certainly only had one bad day in her life as well. <laughs> There you go. Okay. Okay. So, um, I know that you are fighting the um, FDA on the restriction of using healthy as a claim. And can you, how, I mean, I looked on your packaging, so they weren't called healthy. So where are you in that process? Because that is not inexpensive, but it's truly, you're you're leading with your values and what you believe. Yeah. And and of course, I'm eating eating nearly eight eggs a day. Typically, I, I, I believe it. <laughs> the eggs are healthy, uh, for God's sake. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's so frustrating. So where, where we are, we petitioned citizens petition and, and we were, uh, we sort of received the form letter back. The word that we're hearing is that they may actually rule sort of in our favor at the end of this year. Uh, yeah. so we're cautiously optimistic. And of course the science is there now. The, the, the lunacy of the, the whole thing is how far behind they are in, in nutrition thinking period. And that the, the craziest example, I mean, basically a pop tart can be called healthy because it's the flour is fortified, even though it's covered with sugar. Um, jello, you know, pudding can be called healthy. Uh, if you want to take it to a crazy extreme, cotton candy, um, you know, fortified with vitamin C could theoretically be called healthy by the FDA. And yet, Eggs, avocados, and salmon, because they have, you know, either high fat or, or high cholesterol, um, can't be called healthy. And it's, it's crazy because the thinking has changed on this. We're realizing that dietary cholesterol, cholesterol in food does not correlate to, to blood cholesterol. Um, so, and we've, of course, alongside that, all the health benefits of eggs are, are really starting to emerge in, in nutrition thinking. Um, so, you know, there's really no reason for this, for them to, to hold on to this. In addition, it's the government where one hand isn't talking to the other because USDA, Health and Human Services, have already uh, declared that eggs are a nutrient dense food and are mm-hmm. recommending them. So it's kind of a catch up FDA. We, we want to be able to describe eggs as they are healthy. Um, crazy. 
So, so how do you feel about the trajectory of the food business? I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs, social enterprises um, that are just, you know, blossoming. If you, if you go to Trader Joe's, you go to Whole Foods or Fresh Market or Sprouts. Um, is Are we seeing... Um, the impact of of Jesse and Pete and Jerry's on others who, yeah, you can go to, to the edge, but, you know, you can become a 200, 300, 400. And, and I believe you've said that you have a goal in five years to be a $500 million company. That's really impressive. I, I think I'm really, I'm actually quite optimistic about the food industry. You know, nothing happens overnight, but it, change is happening, and and I think it, it's going to start in small places like like a company like ourselves and our and our group of family farms that we partner with, uh, and it all goes back to consumers. They are asking for this. They're they're driving for this. They don't trust big food. They they want to they want authenticity. They want trust. They want purpose. They want to vote with their dollars. As like, like our tagline, believe in what you buy. They they want right. to believe in in the products that they're supporting, not just for their, their health or their family's health, but that they're, you know, that the company has, has a meaning and, and a, and a mission and, and social values and environmental values and so forth behind it. Um, so, you know, that, that, that isn't changing. And in fact, I mean, the generations, certainly millennials and, and generations coming, uh, they have an even, you know, stronger, uh, inclination towards, you know, understanding and investigating and, and holding business is accountable. And I think we see, you know, we see that with, um, you know, so-called big food of the world, the Campbell's and, and General Mills and others are, you know, unless they're making acquisitions of companies like Epic and Justin or Bolt House, but Bolt House, they didn't work. I Bolt mean, House, didn't you know, work. how do the big guys treat the little guys? Right. Yeah. Which that was, that's an interesting situation as well. And, and, uh, I don't know, it seems like it should have. <laughs> that was that was interesting yeah. that that it that it didn't. Um, and it and at the same time, you know, I guess I contrast that to, you know, that didn't work, but business as usual isn't working either. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe it was an execution issue. I don't I don't know. Um, and certainly, Epic and Justin's and other uh, acquisitions, even Applegate, you know, by Hormel, um, where. Everybody uses the example of Kashi where, you know, that was messed up by, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and they've learned, all the companies have learned not to do what was done there, um, to, to let the, the independent, uh, you know, acquisition continue to operate with the values and the, and the acumen that they succeeded with originally. We have very few of our guests that have a Harvard Business School case. And um, in my history, we've actually worked with the B-School on four cases for our clients. So American Heart does have one. But how did that come about? And I know you have to really be transparent. It takes a long time. And then once it came out, what sort of um, impact did it have on your business? Yeah, it was it was a truthfully is a really fun process. And it came about uh, one of the one of the families that supplies uh, Chicken feed to us, grain. Uh, the, the the son had was a recent graduate of HBS, and he wanted to. We were talking. He wanted to introduce me to his favorite professor, who happened to be uh, CEO of of Ahold for a number of years, uh, Stop and Shop and Giant. And uh, so so <laughs> so he made the introduction, and I came down to see see Jose Jose Alvarez, uh, wonderful guy, uh, so down to earth, this remarkable 
person and he's a, he's a retail expert. So I, you know, I was, I mean, honestly, I was, I was fascinated. I never had the chance to pause and, and go get an MBA as much as I would have loved to. Um, so I was fascinated by the chance to you know, have some office hours with a professor for one, uh, two, sit with a, you know, high power, somebody who had been a high powered CEO and, and three, somebody who knew the retail business inside and out. So it was, it was just a, an amazing opportunity for me. And we sat down and sort of chatting about our business and, and, and he sort of paused it a minute and said, now you guys might make a really interesting case study. Would you ever be interested <laughs> in doing it? Yeah. And uh, so I was hooked. Yeah, I couldn't say no. Uh, so that you know, the transparency was was uh, it's a little, it, you know, that was that was a little tough, but at the same time, not because you know, given our industry and we knew that everyone, you know, all of our competitors would read through our playbook, but the playbook's pretty transparent too. That is, was the funny thing. Um, it's like they didn't know, you know, our values because we are transparent and authentic with our customers. You're, you're that with your competitors if they look as well. So, you know, as we step back and thought about us, it, like, you know, they're, they're really not going to learn a whole lot new, um, about us, you know, maybe a little bit more detail. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't worry too much about it. And, uh, it, it was, it was a fascinating process to go, um, you know, in front of, front of MBAs and, and. Oh, so yeah, I was wondering if you taught a class because that's, that's really humbling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure is. And, and, and I said teaching, teaching a class is probably generous, but I, I, you know, I was the, the expert, I guess, uh, you know, they, they, the way that they do it is, or the protagonist as they call it. And, uh, it's, it's actually on a personal level. It's just, it's been so many cool opportunities. In fact, last, almost this time last year, I was, um, over at University College Dublin, uh, because of professor, uh, over there, loved the case and wanted to teach it to his students and invited me to come over. So I couldn't pass that. Um, but I, so I've been in front of agribusiness, uh, executives in, in the Harvard seminars. I've been in front of MBA students and it's extremely humbling. And it's great mm-hmm. to get those perspectives from, you know, different, uh, you know, obviously younger with the MBAs, incredibly intelligent people. And then the agribusiness uh, executives. And agribusiness was, that was, that was particularly interesting because, um, you know, it didn't surprise me, but you have sort of this old mindset, um, that where, where it's commodity driven and you guys are building on costs and, you know, this is going to crumble and this is, you know, this is a consumers are idiots and they're going to change flavor and, you know, you're just going to cut cost and, and it's never, this is never going to work, um, kind of perspective. So, uh, you know, I had it on, on all sides and then, the MBA. I'm curious. I'm curious about the purpose orientation. So, how did that? Was there arguments in the class regarding the need for mattering to people versus just having the lowest cost? Uh, you know what? With the with the uh, agribusiness executives, largely, I wouldn't say universally, of course, but um, particularly the commodity oriented uh, people. The, the idea of purpose was, was completely meaningless to, and in fact, one, <laughs> okay. one, one, right. um, yeah, one, one gentleman, um, uh, described, you know, sort of our marketing and the, and the family farm is, as uh, you know, that we're, mar- we're marketing peasant eggs <laughs> to the, to the elite, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, just, it, it was just funny, but, um, but then the other side of it, which is the contrast with the younger MBA students, 
you know, there are a lot of them are like, you need to do more. You're not doing enough. Uh, you got to push this and do this. And uh, so the contrast is fantastic. It's such a great experience. Ah, the next generation, ah, the millennial thunder herd. Yes. Um, so towards that end, um, with any uh, emerging um, entrepreneurs uh, that want to get into the food business, because um, I want to ask you about two sets of insights. One, for someone who wants to have a purposeful food company. So what are the two or three insights you'd love to share? Yeah, I I mean, I think that that purpose, I, I, this, I love being on, on this podcast, it, it, it's just having a purpose. It's to motivate your your team when things are difficult, um, something to rally around and, and understand that, you know, it's just, uh, it's just so critical. And, and I think as an entrepreneur, you need to start, you need to start with a purpose, not the, not the idea of success and money. That's, that's for sure. Mm. Um, you, you need to start with this, this idea that you're, you're doing something for the, the betterment of, of the people around you in, in the business world that you're interacting with. And the betterment of your your ultimate customer, um, and and with that is transparency, uh, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's this is a very different way to to sell. Uh, for so many you know, traditional CPGs, you know, so many so many years, the advertising cycle and just selling selling BS, you know, in a lot yeah. of ways, and and let's empty out the ingredients and add sugar and and you know have really flashy commercials that that uh, you know are nothing near authentic. Um, this is such a paradigm shift, I think, in food, uh, and it's and it's going to permeate, you know, all socioeconomic groups ultimately. Um, that you know that this this has to change. People are sick of it. They they're, they're sick of the the negative uh, aspects that they're hearing about our food system. So let's now turn to just anyone that wants to either evolve their company to you know embracing a purpose it doesn't have to be in the food industry or they want to work in a company like yours what are the two or three insights you'd like to leave with them again it has to be genuine but i think you can find you can find a purpose in in you know so many different categories and products um a great example that i that i've heard about is uh you know i believe it's medtronics where a new ceo came in and energized the his workforce by making them realize um, you know, that's, that the components they were, they were building, uh, were actually saving people's lives, you know, it's, and, and so, you know, that's, that's a big one, <laughs> but, but it was, sure. what's interesting is, you know, they were, it was just something that some, you know, somebody on a manufacturing line, putting a spring into a valve, you know, wasn't really thinking about, um, you know, previously. So it's, you know, it's giving, giving perspective. Then beyond that, it's, it, you know, it's, that's this maybe an easier one, I guess, um, when you're doing medical devices, but, but then what, you know, if your business is stable enough, what else can you do? You know, how can you mm-hmm. change your, your model or, or, you know, change what you might do with, with any, you know, some excess cash that cash that doesn't, doesn't need to be poured back into the business to, to help society, because that will, that will energize your workforce. We spend so, you know, we spend so much time at work, um, and millennials in particular, they, they're, they're uh, striving for purpose and work. So you know, collaborate with them to find that opportunity. Um, and and if it's if it's not in your business, see if you can create it around your business. That's great. Do you get asked, um, I get asked all the time um, for young people, especially with LinkedIn today, can you give me a few minutes? 
Um, I'm sure that you, because of your prominence now, you're on Bloomberg, you're on Market Watch, things like that. Um, you know, how often are you uh, sought out for your pearls of wisdom? Um, <laughs> do you even have time to share? Um, I've sought out some, but I, you know, truthfully, not so much that I that I. I mean, I, every opportunity I have to to talk to somebody, especially younger people, I I, I relish it. I really I really enjoy it because. Um, particularly entrepreneurs, because I remember, you know, having having a couple hours with Gary really early on, Gary Hirschberg, and from Stonyfield, and 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 in you know seminars that he gave, or you know, listening to the war stories, uh, and it's just so reassuring. And we, you know, you need that. Um, and he, and you you look at somebody who's working so hard and had and and wants to do well, and and you want to save them some of the heartburn that you went through mm. um so it's uh, honestly it's just like the 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 hbs cases and talking to mbas you know it's the it's one of my favorite things to do and and carve out time for uh i it's so satisfying to to try to help you know smart ambitious uh business people yeah and, and when you're not waking up at 4 a.m to rouse Stubborn hens. I didn't know that hens could be stubborn. <laughs> you know, you know. I just want to say to our to our listeners that uh, you know you have this bucolic view of Jesse's operation, but you also have amazing um, technology to clean the eggs. And I love it with a light organic wash. And they're rolling down the conveyor belt, and then they're being put in your boxes. And by the way. Your, talk about your plastic because you've expanded. It's not just the B Corp and humane treatment of animals and omega threes and such. It's also that you are dealing with recycled plastic. Just talk a little bit about that since it's such a huge issue today. Sure, no, absolutely, and and yeah, as you pointed out, we, you know, the farms, the farms, we insist that they're family scale, uh, operated by families, and we think that matters so much for the treatment of the hens, and that a family is taking care of them, not a. Not, not employees. Um, so, but but beyond that, to make this business model work, we need to be the most you know efficient egg processor and logistics you know company that we can be, uh, supply chain company. So, the egg processing equipment we you know our two facilities package a hundred eggs a second. Uh, it's computerized vision, vision you know detection systems and and acoustic shell checking systems and actually use robotics. Um, so everything we can do to make that more efficient. And it's, and it's a fun part of the business too, frankly, because I'm a, I'm a tech geek. Um, so mm. when I had the chance to buy robots, that was one of the most exciting days of my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's great that you have both the yin and the yang. That you have, you treat the hens and you've got the, the beautiful fields and such and the mountains of New Hampshire. Um, yet you have a highly technically driven factory. It's no, a, but that you know that has nothing to do with the humane treatment of hens. Right? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun contrast, uh, and, and again keeps the business diverse and, and interesting too. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it, it's um, <laughs> it's been it's been fascinating to have the two worlds grow. The the farms get the farms stay yeah. the same size, and the the eggs move through processing faster. Faster. Um, and and what is the future of the small family farmer in the United States? You know, it's unfortunately without someone marketing their value um, as as we are um, and communicating that effectively, the, the future is grim. I, I hate to say that. Um, and, you know, here's a statistic that I just heard recently, for example, in, in 
in this tiny little town where, where our business started, where, where I grew up, uh, in, in the fifties, there were about 52 dairy farms, family dairy farms in the tiny little town of Monroe, New Hampshire. Um, uh, certainly not unique. Every town had, had a large, everybody was a dairy farmer, of course. Uh, today, the entire state of New Hampshire has only 30 dairy farms left. And they're, and it's, and same thing is happening in Vermont. Vermont now has less than a thousand dairy farms. Um, so family farms are, are really suffering. And, uh, you know, it's, I, it's painful for me to watch in particular because it's, it's, it's sort of the delayed onset of, for dairy, uh, what happened in the, in the egg business where, you know, they figured out how to put thousands of cows, uh, literally thousands of, mm. sometimes tens of thousands of cows in one farm, one facility, you know, one factory and, uh, you know, migrant labor sometimes exploited. And, and, you know, they're, they're just, these, even though a, a family farm may be extraordinarily good and, and have a great herd of cows, just don't have the scale, uh, to, to feed their family. So mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, it's really, it's really sad. Um, so I, but I think at the same time, you know, we see groups like Young Farmers Coalition and, and others that are, that are succeeding in selling directly to, you know, these PSAs. And of course we've always heard, you know, heard a lot about that, but that's still growing and, and selling, you know, directly to consumers. And then, you know, my hope is there's more brands like ourselves and Stonyfield and Organic Valley um, that are able to effectively market, you know, genuinely market the family farm and that consumers are, are willing to pay for it. And I think the more, the more consumers become aware of, so the, the, disconnect um you know between what they hope farming looks like and you know sort of the reality of a factory farm the more they'll be willing to spend money to support that family farm uh, and it's just so you know unhealthy the animals and, and higher quality food it's just so important for the the fabric of our rural communities hey, and and i think that our rural communities should be very thankful um, for your commitment and your authenticity, and also what's what's at least a positive trend is the linking of the type of food we eat and our health. Yes, and and I again I think eggs love eggs I love your eggs. Um, I, and I hope everybody listening will trial your eggs and stick with your eggs so that you can support not only the you know the survival of the small family farmer. Um, but these, you know, making sure these chickens can live a wonderful life and that, um, you know, plastics and B Corps and great, you know, great examples. So is there anything um, else you'd like to add before we unfortunately have to say bye? Sure. I actually re- just realized that I didn't answer your question on the, the plastic uh, egg carton, recycled plastic egg carton that we've, we've used for so many years. Uh, and it's, it's true. I mean, we've looked at, we've looked at so many studies on, um, sustainability and that, that carton, um, wins handedly over traditional pulp egg cartons. Of course, it wins over foam and, and anything else. Um, because it is, it's post-consumer recycled plastic and it takes very little energy to make it, which is quite different from pulp, uh, molded pulp. But, uh, you know, you pointed out there's, there's so much resistance uh, against plastic today and, and, um, which is, it's, it's hard to, it's sort of hard to, to fight that societal, uh, understanding. And, you know, I think there's some good in it. Um, but I, you know, I think, I think it might even be more good to, to just work harder on making sure that plastic doesn't get into our watershed and into our oceans. 
um, than eliminating altogether because it's such such a more complicated problem. Um, so, you know, we we stand behind the plastic and try to educate consumers, but at the same time, we are looking we're looking at you know alternatives and hybrids. Um, you know, as we progress, that that uh, you know plastic has too much resistance. We need to we need to evolve with consumers and, and perception um, as well. So we'll see where that goes. Well, 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 thank you that every single part of your business is so purposeful and that thank God that there was a pivot and that you had this vision of getting to scale through replicating your values and helping small family farmers to succeed. So I just want to thank you for your time today. Thank you for making such a great product. I want to ask all of our listeners to try and tell their friends. And by the way, you go on the website and you sign up for the newsletter. You get a coupon for $1.50 off. So that's a nice thing to get. And I, I just I want to thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Um, good luck on your road to getting to 500 million in five years. I know that the money is not the goal. The goal is what you can do with your platform. And so also good luck with the FDA. And I just like to say this is Carol Cohn for Purpose 360. And I'd like to ask you, what's your purpose? <laughs>